Hey, who would you fight? I'd totally fight your dad. Let me put it this way. My dad looks like a human Muppet, and I'm 100% sure he could kick your dad's ass. Who do you think would win? He's a lot bigger than you. Uh, he'd probably be sober, which is a huge plus. Do you know how many fights I've been in? I don't know. Six, seven, if you count that little dust-up I had at the used car lot. Ah! My kids lost all fucking faith in me! Benjamin. There's a storm brewing on Maple Street. I'm here to settle this debate our kids are having. What, what's the debate? You like it the juice? You like it the juice? You know, I'm tempted to blame you for this because technically it was your suggestion, but it's also kind of my fault. Well, it's a fault of circumstances as well. Welcome to Saturday Night Jive, where we talk about Saturday Night Live and Saturday Night Live related movies. And if you listen to our last podcast, you might be like, hey, where's my jury duty podcast? You were looking forward to it so much. You're like, you, you promised me jury duty with Siobhan Fallon. Well, sorry. We were so excited. We were very excited about Siobhan Fallon. I don't know why we love Siobhan <laughs> Fallon so much, but we do. Gotta love some Siobhan Fallon. Uh, but apparently jury duty is not on Crackle, as the internet lied to me. So we couldn't find that. So then Ben suggested Quick Change, starring Bill Murray, Randy Quaid, and featuring Phil Hartman. I watched an hour of that last night, and I was like, we're going to pick another movie, because this, this is just dull. I just was interested in it because I didn't realize Bill Murray directed that. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting that he directed that weird, obscure comedy. But yeah, I mean, I'm fine with that. If you thought it was too boring, then what the hell? It's just, it's one of those where, like, they rob a bank and then they're fleeing, they're escaping, and then just they keep coming upon setbacks and setbacks. So it's very just episodic. And it I can barely remember that. So you have a problem with episodic movies, do you, George? Yeah. Is that a thing that maybe makes you inclined to not want to sit around on a podcast and talk about a movie? It's episodic nature? Is that... I only like movies with tightly focused screenplays. Like, I want to know exactly uh, how we got to point B from point A. You know, so I know when, like, David Spade challenges Nat Fax into a fight, I know that there's going to be a wife-carrying competition somewhere in that movie. It just follows basic logic. Did they set that up at all, or did they... It was like, when he mentioned it, was that the first time he was mentioning it? I was going to ask you that same question, because, like, they got to that scene, and I was like, what? Why, why are we here? Did I zone out? What the fuck? <laughs> I think we're just here now. This is just where we are in the movie. Because, yeah, basically, after Quick Change is a crapshoot, I, I suggested maybe Going Overboard, but we couldn't find that online, the first Adam Sandler movie, and that kind of got us to, well, hey, Adam Sandler's Happy Madison Productions has a bunch of shitty... Uh, movies that are on Netflix, so that'd be easy. We know we can find them. And then you threw out Father of the Year, which I, I'm almost certain we considered this the last time we got David Spade, and for whatever reason, did not watch it. I think we diverted from watching it because of the zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think we were like coming off a really bad movie and didn't want to watch another one like two in a row. Because you texted that to me as a selling point for the movie. You were like, hey, it's got a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. Let's watch it. I know, because sometimes it is. But honestly, Father of the Year, the Netflix original film starring David Spade from 2018, does not deserve a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. That should be like a holy number for like your Bucky Larsons, you know? Like the movies that are so bad, they need that 0%. This movie... it's it's whatever. It's it's a fucking it, David Spade Netflix movie. Whatever. It's bad, but it's pleasantly inoffensive. I, I I don't have any like anger towards it. You know, it's just what it is what it is. My question, my first question to you, 
again, we watched Father of the Year, which, I don't know, watch the trailer if you don't know which movie, what movie this is. Was this a script for Joe Dirt 2 that they passed on to make the Crackle original Joe Dirt 2? And if it wasn't, why isn't it? Doesn't this seem like a much better sequel to Joe Dirt than what we got? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I only think I watched the first 15 minutes of Joe Dirt 2, Beautiful Loser on Crackle, so I can't speak to it completely. Well, I don't remember what year that came out, but it was my worst movie of the year it came. No, it wasn't, because I forgot I watched it. It was so bad, I blocked it out, and I had a different movie. And then I was talking to Nate, because we were doing our list, and I was like, oh, that's right, Joe Dirt 2 came out. Of course that's the worst movie of the year. <laughs> yeah, man, I, that was one I just could not get through. Um, this also could just be, like, all the shit they cut from That's My Boy, and they're just like, here, David Spade, here's some deleted <laughs> scenes from That's My Boy. This can be your movie. It's one of those things where, like, I want to say I like David Spade in it just because I like him better when he plays this kind of character, when he's, like, a loser, rather than, like, the smarmy I'm-better-than-you guy that he's in, like, like in Tommy Boy and stuff like that. Even though that's closer to, like, the attitude he has, like, in his, his stand-up act and stuff, I feel like, I don't know, he works better when he's, like, rural and dumb. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, there's something about David Spade where... Like he pretends his act is he pretends he's above above you, but he's really not. So yeah, he actually does work better, I think, when he's playing down and you know just like someone, a character that you would not sympathize with at all is just kind of like hapless trash. Either that, or even just like a sapless like loser, like uh, like the character in the Do Over. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a redneck, but just like. I don't know when he he doesn't have but he, he, when he has some humility or when his character does I feel like it just works a lot better I mean I guess that's true generally I suppose characters with humility are more sympathetic <laughs> to me in movies well, yeah I didn't mind him in this movie um, but this movie is just the, the laziest piece of shit it's just like this is a Netflix movie and that's that yeah there there was like no thought put into this whatsoever. The, the, I don't know, do you have a stereotype of Netflix movies as trifling and pointless? Because I feel like Netflix movies, more often than not, they're, well, better than this, but also just, like, they're always, like, high concept, like Six Underground. It's not a good movie, but it's, like, rich guy fakes people's deaths and recruits them to be a military organization or whatever. There's always, like, or Old Guard, it's their immortals and whatever. It always seems like whenever I hear a Netflix movie, like, they were sold on some kind of high concept pitch. I don't know how you sell this movie to anybody. Uh, two guys fight, and then some other shit happens. The, 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 how plotless this movie was! How do you, how does anybody sell this movie? Yeah, I at the after I was done watching it, I looked up the plot synopsis because I was like, wait, why was the wife carrying scene in there? Like, what did I miss? But the plot synopsis is basically a dad challenges another dad to a fight. But that's not the plot of the movie. That's like a subplot of the movie. Well, how would that be the plot of the movie? Where do you go from there? Because I, I was actually kind of curious that that's the start of it. Where do you go from there? In the actual movie, the result of the fight is that the kid loses his job because he gets arrested. And so he has to bum around his hometown and he talks to his friends. for, And then Nat Faxon gets high on Molly. It, it's like there's no story. After that, it just feels like kind of like a grown-up sort of thing where it's just this wacky town, but it's not as wacky as the grown-up's town. So who gives a fuck? Yeah, it's very listless. Yeah, I was expecting a movie kind of like uh, Fist Fight, but of course, I didn't like Fist Fight either. But I thought the movie was going to be about this this fight that they set up in the beginning of the movie. Like, one of the first scenes of the movie is basically two kids going, hey, 
do you think your dad could beat up my dad? Let's ask them. And so they go ask David Spade, do you think you could beat up Nat Faxon? And he's like, yeah. And that's just like the a ridiculously quick escalation because then David Spade gets drunk and goes, I'm going to kick Nat Faxon's ass. But then that's pretty much the end of that. Yeah, that's the thing. And I mean, it's like a thread throughout where it's like, uh, they get in the fight, but it was aborted. So then, they, and then they have to fake the fight, so he gets respect back. And then at the end, they want to fight for real. So like, it's 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 kind of all through it. But again, it never matters. Like the main premise of the movie never fucking matters to the story because there is no story. No, and you think you think maybe the movie is gonna go for like. Oh, well, we'll repair the relationship between father and son. And then, you know, David Spade and his son will have a better relationship at the end of the movie. Or Nat Faxon and his son will have a better relationship at the end of the movie. But no, it's basically the same. Well, and you could do, there's so much you could do with like, where's the mom? I assume she's dead. I mean, they, they kind of joke that she died in the, the wife race thing, but I assume she's dead for real or left them or I... I Oh, no, they, they say she's alive. That's right, because no. she, she went to the graduation. <laughs> yeah. But, like, do something with yeah. that, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, if she if they actually said she died rather than, than was alive, you could say, like, you know, maybe you, some, something changed when she died and you were better before or something. You could have, like, character development. There's easy avenues for it. But instead it's just, hey, David Spade, did, did, you, did you get your wacky voice for this character yet? Yeah, I, I was thinking it was something like this. <clears throat> good. We're good to go. <laughs> Like, that's all we need. Yeah. We ran out of time for the character development because we needed that scene where David Spade grew titties. Because, like, I always talk about the the Happy Madison formula, and it's a tried-and-true formula that has succeeded for them quite often. But, I don't know, it just seems like, I don't know, here, like, they didn't even, they weren't even able to adhere to that. Like, this doesn't even have real... I guess it does have, like, the equivalent of the running to the airport scene when they go to the the company at the end with the fucking weird VR sequence that comes out of nowhere. Were they a VR company? <laughs> Did I miss that? <laughs> no, I think... I think Kevin Nealon was just, like, an eccentric billionaire who likes to do business meetings in virtual reality. Okay, I guess, but I feel like the, there's so many things in this that feel like... There was an earlier draft, and they just changed it, but they forgot the connective tissue. Like, like in a previous draft, they'd set that up, and they set up the wife race, and they set up all this stuff, and then they made cuts for whatever reason, and then, like, that stuff was still in there, and they forgot, like, oh, no, we have to mention that, like, there's this race, and they want to win it for some reason, or there's this guy, and he's in VR for some reason. Like, you need to set that shit up, and I feel like they had to have at some point, and then they just forgot to keep it in the movie. Yeah, or they cut it out. Because, yeah, we get to, we keep talking about this wife-carrying race. But it is a big chunk of the movie. That does include our, you know, our gratuitous fart joke and vomit joke. But, yeah, like, they establish a villain there. Like, David Spade shows up and he's like, yeah, we got to do this wife-carrying competition. And then there's a guy there like, you suck, David Spade. You'll never win the wife-carrying competition. And you're like, well, who's this guy? And why does... Why do we care if David Spade defeats this man? And then you never see that man again. And then you get to the end of the movie, and then they're in fucking virtual reality. And I'm like, I haven't seen a fucking more pointless virtual reality scene since Michael Douglas jumped into that virtual file cabinet in Disclosure. And 
it, like when you talk about like he he meets this guy at this race, he's like his arch enemy, and he's played by a name actor. I, well, I forget his name. Like, he's the guy from like Law and Order Special Victims Unit, and uh, he was the Mayhem ass. Yeah, the Mayhem guy. And it's they, it's like they have this prior relationship where it's like, hey, remember me, your your nemesis that we've seen throughout the movie? No, you're just in this one <laughs> no. fucking sequence, and then you're gone for the rest of it. Who the fuck were you? Does it matter? No, because nothing fucking matters. Yeah, this movie was just dull. But like you said, it was inoffensive. I I don't know. Did you laugh at all? I can't remember really laughing. I think I think I I had some Stockholm laughter towards the end. I want to say. But even then, like, that was killed by the, the post-credit sequence where the kid goes back to fuck the old lady and then David Spade I, comes out of the window. I got some chuckles out of the foul-mouthed old lady, I'll, I'll have to admit. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, I think it was when he told his kid to shut the fuck up at the end. I think I laughed at that just because I was That like, was pretty good. Yeah, desperate for something to laugh at. I like Nat Faxon as a comic actor. Not that he's given much to do in this, but... But yeah, and like he has a whole set piece where he's afraid of David Spade, so he goes off to a hotel and he forgot his medication. So they take him to this drug dealer who gives him Molly, and then like they're just sitting in his basement, listening to him rap and like rolling around in his dirty laundry. And it's just like, what the fuck is any of this? How is this connected to what's other than the the very flimsy connection of the the A to B to C I just laid out? Like when you're when you're outlining a movie like this. And you have, okay, I have this idea. These two kids argue about whose parents can beat each other up, and then that leads to hijinks. I don't know. Where do you get to... What if we spend 20 minutes where they're just sitting in a basement high on Molly? Yeah, that was another scene where I was watching it, and I was like, how did we get here, and why are we here, and where are we going? And the movie never answers those questions. It's There's just like, like here's a scene. in the movie where that's what it is. It's like, wh- where are we? Why are we here? And why do we need to be here? Yeah. Um, uh, what? And that's the thing. We're 15 minutes into this podcast. I got nothing else to say. What a <laughs> fucking father of the year. I mean, it's not bad. I don't, I mean, or at least it's not terrible. Uh, yeah, I, I really have nothing more to say about this movie except that, uh, one of our favorite SNL cast members, Melanie Hutzel, appears in it. Oh, I, oh, was she the what? She was the mom, right? She was the mom of the drug dealer in that scene. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that was Melanie Hutzel. <clears throat> yeah, I made a big note that said Melanie Hutzel. Oh, you took notes? I didn't even fucking take notes. No, I I didn't, and then I start. I felt bad because <laughs> I was just watching it, and I was like, well, when I feel like taking a note, I will take a note. And then I'm watching the movie for about 45 minutes and I'm like, oh shit, I haven't taken any notes. I should write something down. And my first note is, ah, there's the poop. Well, it's just that like, if you talk about, you know, the episodic nature of it, the fact that it feels like cut scenes from other movies, like like his best friends, they all have like little, what, what might've been arcs in a better movie, but like the one kid just feels like, like McLovin, but like shittier. Yeah. And then, like, the other kid wants to be in a motorcycle gang, but, like, that comes to nothing. Where did he go? Like, I thought he was going to be one of their best friends, and then, like, he just disappears halfway through the movie. Well, he comes back at the end, and it's like, now he's part of the gang. But that did that matter? Did you care? No. Like, it's... But it's 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 treated as, as if, like, you know, oh, yeah, you were clearly invested in that, in that fucking storyline of that kid and his attempts to get in the gang, which is just sort of almost in the background by the end of it. Well, literally in the background yeah. by the end of it. 
No, he's just another one of this kid's random townie friends, which is weird. The movie ends with, spoiler alert for Father of the Year, but the movie ends with this kid going like, nah, fuck college, fuck my job. I'm going to stay here in this small town with my dad. Is that good or bad? I don't know if that's a good message or a bad message. Well, I mean, it's it's the... To the extent that the Happy Madison formula is applied to this, it's the thing you thought you wanted is not what you wanted because you found a, a love, you found a girl back home. So the idea is, you know, he thinks he wants this shiny object. He sees that it's not everything it's cracked up to be. He has the meeting with Kevin Nealon, and Kevin Nealon's an asshole. So he's like, I don't want to work for you. So I guess I'm going to go work for the hard- at the hardware store with my, my new girlfriend and then resent her because she represents me having to st- stay here and not live my dream. I mean, it's a happy ending because the movie needs it to be a happy ending. But in real life, I feel like the next step of that is, oh, fuck, everything I planned out in my life is now worthless and I have nothing. Yeah, like the Richard Linklater version of this movie would pick back up 10 years later and that guy would have a fucking nine-year-old kid and he'd basically be David Spade's character just living in town with his fucking nine-year-old kid because he gave up on all of his prospects when he was 18 years old. You know, that actually would have been interesting if they had done that and just said, like, it's now come full circle. You know, that I think that would have been kind of... I mean, it would have been somber and obviously Happy Madison would never have touched that kind of ending. But but no, yeah, I think like sort of deconstructing the idea of this kind of ending is kind of interesting to me. Certainly more interesting than anything else that was actually in the movie. Yeah. Well, it's just weird that, like... The, the relationships don't change at all. Like, the beginning of this movie, it, like, to set up their characters, it's the year after his high school graduation, and he's going to spend, like, I guess the summer with his dad, David Spade. David Spade lives in, like, a trailer, and he's always drunk all the time. He has no prospects. And then at the end of the movie, he, he kind of turns into his dad, but it's kind of meant to be, like, kind of a happy thing. Like, yeah, we're all together. We're family. But, like, is that what you want? Well, yes and no, because, like, well, you mentioned That's My Boy. At the end of That's My Boy, they do come together in a similar way, but it feels, I mean, I don't know if satisfying is the right word. It feels like it's a payoff to what was set up, where, like, he was such a vastly different person. He rejected his father's whole lifestyle and wanted to marry into this other family that's nothing like him, sort of, like, as, as part of that rejection. And then by the end, he realizes, no, I am more like my dad than I want to admit, I, and I love him, and these people aren't for me. They're not, you know, the life I really want. They're just the life I thought I wanted. So, like, it all seems like it comes together in the end, whereas this one, it's just like, like, yeah, the dad doesn't grow or change. He doesn't, like, in the, I think at the end of that, that's my boy. Yeah, I mean, he's still kind of a jerk, but, like, they kind of meet in the middle. And in this one, they don't. It's just, like, the dad's still exactly the same. The son... I mean, he doesn't change. He just doesn't have a job anymore, and he has a girlfriend. It's not like there's real growth. Yeah, and the dad's not, like... uh, Like, he's just a fuck-up, but he's not, like, a dangerous fuck-up. Like, he's not making his son's life miserable. It doesn't seem like he's in his son's life at all, really, until he comes and lives with him for the summer. So, yeah, there's no real change there. It's not like, oh, David Spade learned to be a better dad. Nope, he's just the same fucking guy. I guess the closest thing is he, like, like he never really helped him out, but he helped him out once where he talked to Nat Faxon, and I guess he 
uh, learn humility and let him win the fight and that, so that he can get the meeting. Like, that that's the closest you get to it. But even then, it's like... I don't know. Like, the, the biggest resolution is the one kid fucks the old lady and gets gets him gets the charges dropped which is like comes out of nowhere it's like that's a, ma- a significant plot turn where they're just sitting in a bar and they go hey you fucked that lady didn't you like nah like that's that's the closest to like oh that's the culmination of an arc you fucked that's the old the, lady yeah that's how the main plot is resolved the main plot of this movie is this kid has to build a pool for this old lady this like mean old lady who just always yells at him for taking too much shits in her house uh, and then that's resolved by his friend just fucking the old lady. Well, that was because they and they 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 did see that where like he was like a ladies' man, like girls would just come up to him and start making out with him. And I didn't realize that was going to be the culmination of that. Like, oh, this old lady wants to like you don't need that. He didn't have to be like a you know a magnet for chicks. You could have just said the old lady was horny. I mean, you could just establish that. It didn't need to be a runner. Yeah, but this is a movie that doesn't establish anything. Well, one thing it did establish, and this was a scene that I did enjoy. Early on in the movie, Nat Faxon is talking about how, um, you know, he's gotten into some fights in his day. And one time he punched out a flasher who was flashing people uh, on the streets. I I did laugh at the flashback, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so he's talking all big to his son. He's like, yeah, I knocked him out. He was on the ground and he never came back up and never flashed again. And then you cut to... Later, he tells the true story where that flasher made him, made Nat Faxon drive him around so he could flash people out of his sunroof. And it's just the depiction of it, because the guy is like this fat guy in an overcoat, and he's just flashing the neighborhood, spinning around. And it's just, it, it's something you just kind of have to see. But it's not so funny that it justifies watching the movie in order to see that sequence, so it's not like I'm recommending it for that. But yeah, yeah that is one of the few legitimately funny segments of the movie. And a good solid joke in it, too, because Duran, when he's telling the story, he says, yeah, I drove him around like for eight hours. I went through a tank, a tank and a half of gas. In hindsight, I probably could have drove off while I was refilling my gas tank, <laughs> but I didn't. I waited for him to come back to my car so I could drive him around more. Yeah, no, and, and the fact that they show it all, it's not just him telling the story. They actually show, I, I, I would assume, like, that feels like that's like the director, probably, that actor <laughs> playing the flasher. I don't know that for certain, but, uh, but yeah, I, I just, overall, the, the all-over-the-place nature of this story, and I mean, we've had other movies that are like that, but this still kind of surprised me and flabbergasted me how how little connection there was between events in this movie. Like, it feels like at any point somebody would have said, like, you need to take a second pass at that script to make it more cohesive. It feels like a movie shouldn't be allowed to be this flimsy. Yeah, it seems like they just pulled a bunch of scenes out of a hat and then just, like, you know, put them in order. Um, I'm wondering if this was... I'm wondering what the gestation of this movie was because... Uh, David Spade talks about in his comedy act that his dad is kind of like this. Like his parents got divorced when he was young and he doesn't really hang out with his dad, but his dad is kind of like this guy who's like, just like, Hey, you getting laid, buddy? Why don't you throw some trim my way? So I'm wondering if this was like, or maybe just David Spade related to this random character because of his dad. But I wouldn't be surprised if this was David Spade going, Oh yeah. One time my dad competed in a wife carrying event. Well, no, I can, yeah, I can definitely see it. Like he related to this. Uh, like, maybe this was like him and Adam Sandler. Like he's been telling stories of his dad for years, and they, they, he finally said, "Like, why don't you just put those in a movie?" 
Yeah. You know, I, I, I that makes total sense to me. And and yeah, the fact that it's all over the place is just because it's like, oh, we got to put that in there. We got to put that in there. You know, remember when you went to a laboratory and got boobs? <laughs> I don't think that actually ever happened, but... <laughs> What's the most ridiculous thing? Because there's no fucking point to it. He just has titties for one scene. There's no, and there's not even a joke. The joke is the tits, I guess. <clears throat> but what? Well, but that, but that did set up the craziest thing for me. Because like it's a couple seasons scenes later when we get the wife race, and he says, "Remember when I had titties last week?" <laughs> and it's like, really, a fucking week has passed. Like, the, t- the chronology of this film was like, wait, is this supposed to take place over a summer? Because it feels like it takes place over, like, a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they needed that time to set up the wife-carrying race. I guess. <laughs> that shit takes time to set but up. But not set it up for the audience. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, they set up the course. But no, there's no there's no setup for us, the people who are watching this. Um, yeah, that, well, that wife-carrying scene... That was the shittiest part of the movie. Because it starts with a fart, ends with vomit, and in the middle of it, you know, what What the fuck am I watching? I'm just watching a bunch of people carry their wives through mud and, like, tunnels. And I don't know the stakes of this. And there doesn't seem to be any stakes, because they win at the end. And what he wins a trophy, and he's like, hooray! And that's it. Well, but again, this is the thing where, like, if his wife had been dead, and this was the thing, like, they won this every year or something, and this is the first year that he couldn't do it. So the, so it's like, it's the culmination of something. It's the end of something. Or, the, the you know, it, it, it means something. You know? Like, and then maybe he has to fight for the right to still be in it. Or something, you know? Like, so it actually, like, matters to the story. Yeah, no, it's just, hey... I guess I heard about this thing. Like, you got a flyer. Like, hey, there's a wife-carrying thing. I don't have a wife, but I want to do it anyway for some reason that I'm not going to articulate. But I've got a son here. Let me have my son carry me across the court. And then carry him, which makes no sense. Because even if it's like, oh, you got to carry your wife, but you don't have a wife, you can substitute. It's not like the wife can start carrying the husband. I feel like that's against the rules. Well, another couple does that. Because there is a joke in the wife-carrying scene where... Uh, like a skinny guy has a big fat wife and then he like passes out and then the big fat wife gets up and carries her husband. So oh, I'm guessing in this wife carrying event, yeah, they, they're a little lenient on the rules just as long as one person is being carried. Well, and speaking of forgetting shit, like there are whole points in this movie where like they have to justify continuing the movie with Spade's character being a blackout drunk to where he forgets that Nat Faxon exists. Yeah. <laughs> Like he, like he's, and it, and it's, it's, it makes sense in the context of the story. They say, oh, he must have been blackout drunk. He doesn't remember you. But it's also just like the only way we can continue this is, is he sees him in this moment but doesn't remember him. So it's just a convenient thing. We're like, oh yeah, he's he was just too drunk. Like yeah, it seems very sloppy. It feels like a huge fucking cheat. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they get in this big fight when David Spade's drunk, and then like two scenes later. They just have they have to be in the same room together. But it wouldn't make sense for them to be in the same room together if they're enemies and they just had a big fight. Oh, David Spade doesn't remember what Nat Faxon looks like. That's a quick fix. See, and that's the thing. Make it like a changing lanes, but a comedy where it's like these two people in different social statuses are ruining each other's lives because they become enemies over this stupid argument. That's a perfect structure for a movie like this. But yeah. no, it, it doesn't. And then, of course, they have to learn to work together for the sake of their sons. 
the I've already made a better fucking movie in five seconds. There you go. Yeah, but they they didn't bother to do that. The, the Nat Faxon and David Spade have no relationship to each other. Uh, and why is the movie even called Father? Well, it wasn't originally called Father of the Year. I saw it. that was the only piece of trivia I found online. But this just a shitty title for what this movie is. Because what does David Spade do to be Father of the Year? Well, I would assume it's ironic. It's when you say father of the year to someone who does something shitty as a father. But what does he do to even be a shitty father? Well, I would say he's a shitty father. I mean, he's just like, I mean, he's a fuck up. He's he, he's he's not a good role model for his son. I would say that's the only thing. I mean, he's not actively like beating him or anything, but he's just like, you know, I don't want to end up like you kind of father. Yeah, but it's not, there's not even that relationship. Like, the father-son relationship in this movie is completely missing. Like, I don't see any real fucking paternal relationship between them at all. They're not even buddies. It's just like this... They could have been roommates for, like, as far as the story is concerned. Well, that's the thing. The better version of this movie, the setup would be, you know, David Spade was never responsible as a parent. He never grew up. He tr- he always treated his son like a best friend, like a buddy rather than a son, much like in That's My Boy. That's sort of the same uh, dynamic. But again, I feel like in That's My Boy, they, they at least do something with that. I feel like Adam Sandler's character has to take responsibility for being a father and I believe does like apologize to his son for not you know, being there for him when he should have been. Like, that's the arc that, that this should have gone with, where, like, he grows up and realizes, like, no, I should have been there for you more. And then the son realize, has to realize, like, you know, my attempts to grow up without you and, and, you know, be my own man, but I'm not happy, so, like, maybe I need to be learned to be more like you a little bit, maybe take life less seriously. Like, there's plenty of things that you could have done that this movie just didn't give a fuck about. Well, yeah, and they don't even delve into the backstory at all. So we don't know, like... Like you said, you didn't know if the the wife was really dead or not. There's just one passing mention of the wife being alive and like which I'd forgotten often about. like Cabo or something. Well, yeah, it's just like a passing mention at the beginning of the movie. So yeah, you don't know what the relationship is, like how, what was David Spade uh, doing while this kid was growing up? Was he completely absentee? Did this kid spend every summer with David Spade? Like we don't know any of that information. We don't know what their relationship is like. So we can't be invested in their story if we don't know who the fuck they are. Well, at the very beginning of the movie, they're in the car, they're having a conversation, him and his best friend, and they say, like, we should have just gone straight to New York. So I feel like it's, like, the distance is already set up there, where it's like, he just feels like he's going to go off to his new job, and he's probably not going to be back here for many years, so he feels like it's an obligation to just sort of stop in and you know, for you know, stay for a couple weeks and just say, you know, say goodbye, basically. I feel like that's the dynamic, or at least that that's what they were trying to set up, you know, but again, it's, it, it's not, because it's not paid off in any way emotionally or cathartically, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And as I said before, ah, there's the poop. We do get one scene where he hits the septic tank and he's covered in shit. Oh, and I, I kind—I do kind of want to talk about. I kind of—I didn't hate the uh, the the romantic love interest, just because I feel like there was like there was a point early on where like he meets this girl that they like she was he, they were close in like high school or maybe even like earlier than that, and then he meets her years later. And they kind of have like a flirtation and she's like giving him partial bits of her number. And they at one point they go to the prom because she never got to go to her prom. 
but like, there's a point where she's like, I'm not going to be your fucking hometown side piece. I know you're going to New York and you're just, you know, so like, but like, she's like, like the fact that she's sort of standoffish to him. I kind of liked that idea that like, he has to sell her on that. Like, like he has to change for her rather than she's just the, the happy Madison stock love interest where eventually she's just going to find this kid so cute that she's just going to fall in love with him. I like that. He kind of had to work hard and she was a little more, she had a little more agency throughout the movie. Yeah, no, I, I did like her character, and I, I thought their relationship was uh, was fine. Um, and it, <clears throat> I think the reason I like that more is because we have seen so many movies with really bad teenage love stories. Yeah. Where it's just like, why is this in this movie? But since this kid is basically the main character, David Spade is basically a supporting part, uh, it felt more organic. Like, oh yeah, no, this kid would have a love interest. If they gave David Spade a love interest... That would be a problem. Well, no, that's well, like you know, when when this is the main character and it's about him figuring out where he's gonna. It's kind of coming of age ish. Like he's trying to figure out where he's gonna go in yeah. his life, and part of that is you know, do I stay here with this girl that I like, or do I go off, or whatever? Like that, at least. I mean, in theory, it means something, or so at least more than like, oh, are the two kids in furry vengeance gonna fuck? Like, who cares? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else. What else? Anything I don't know. Else? We, we have the Molly <clears throat> sequence. I don't know if you want to talk about that. You're just rapidly scanning through at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember what else happens in this movie because I honestly forget. I, I do want to talk about this VR sequence at the end. So basically, what happens is, uh, I, I, you know, a bunch of shit happens, and then all of a sudden, David Spade is like, oh. I gotta do something for my son. So he apologizes to Nat Faxon. Nat Faxon knows somebody at this company that fired the kid because the kid got uh, thrown in jail when David Spade got in the original fight. And then he goes to this company for this job interview. And I guess, yeah, Kevin Nealon is like, all right, we'll have this job interview, but we're going to put on some virtual reality glasses. You're going to be a monkey. You're going to be a kangaroo. And I'll just be a polar bear. Which, that's how we conduct our business. Easy fix for this. It's a VR company and always was. But they have to say like, oh no, it's a company that's saving the environment or some shit. Like like to make it justify that like, oh, that's his dream job. It can just be a VR company. That's And that's what I thought it was. But then, yeah, nothing in the beginning of the movie established that. So yeah, we can like... Nothing in this movie establishes anything. We get to the end, and then they're just like, hey, put on some virtual reality glasses, and uh, we'll just, it'll be a cartoon for like 10 minutes. And can we talk about David Spade's giant suit? Because I feel like that's a payoff to a joke that also wasn't set up, or whatever the setup was, was cut. Yeah, he just shows up in a giant, well, I mean, he's the kind of guy who wouldn't have a suit, so, but yeah, he's in a giant suit, but they never really show... They may have, and I missed it, but I didn't remember a scene where he bought a giant suit or happened to have a giant suit. No, I, and I'm assuming, yeah, that must have been something that was cut at some point because, I yeah, I, I get the logic of the joke that, yeah, he would have to rent a suit and maybe he rented the wrong one or something or didn't get the sizes right. But, again, you still have to establish that. Yeah. What they also don't establish is why is David Spade part of this meeting at all? Yeah. Why didn't he just... Who goes to a job interview and they're like, well, put on these VR glasses and hey, put these VR glasses on your dad too. That's the thing. 
Like, I, I just got a job with you recently. Imagine if I'd come to the interview with my dad. Do you think they would have questioned that? Did, did he have to, does his dad have to come with him everywhere? No, I think if you showed up to the job interview with your dad, we would say, okay, now put these virtual reality glasses on. You're going to be a monkey. And we'll see how you interact in virtual reality. But, I mean, that would have, of course, been the moral test because I would have realized how horrible you mistreated him in virtual reality. And be like, I can't work here. Uh, and then, yeah, this is just this, uh, the other sloppiest fucking thing. Because, yeah, what happens is David Spade freaks out when he sees the virtual reality. For some reason, there's a virtual reality like Pelican that swoops in and he fights it. So he's running around the office punching people. And then the son is like, you, well, yeah, you didn't respect my dad in the virtual world, so I'm not working here. Yeah, I just, and, and I mean... To say it comes to nothing, none of the nothing in this movie comes to anything. It's almost disingenuous to judge it for this as opposed to anything else in the movie. But it's just, yeah, it, it seems like even in a movie where everything comes out of left field, this comes out of the leftist of left field. Oh yeah, let's just have a fucking VR sequence. Which I am an avid player of VR. They are so much. Even I don't know when this. When did this come out? Twenty seventeen. Uh, the twenty eighteen, I think. 2018. Yeah, I've had VR since then. It's always been way better than this. Yeah, it doesn't even look like virtual reality. It looks like a fucking uh, canceled Nickelodeon show. But, like, it feels like the kind of virtual virtual reality they would depict in, like, the 90s when they were just theoretically talking about it, where back then this would have seemed like state-of-the-art, like, oh, the fact that you could live in a whole virtual world, but now we can, so we know what it fucking looks like. Have a frame of reference that actually exists. Have somebody who has a fucking Oculus Quest call my ass. I can be like, hey, I can describe exactly what it's like, and it's better than this. Play a game of Beat Saber and not fucking polar bear chimpanzee kangaroo junction. Yeah. Man, I remember the 90s when we were all just like, man, one day... We're all going to be polar bears and kangaroos doing job interviews. I just remember how it would show up in fucking everything. Well, like you mentioned Disclosure. I remember, do you remember the, the movie First Kid, the Sinbad movie? I never watched it. I watched it as a kid. And like the, it's like the, he's a secret service agent guarding the president's son. But in the third act, all of a sudden it's just, hey, we're at the mall and there's a VR kiosk. Let's have an entire third act in VR. It's like, what that, why? It's hip, man. Got to get in that virtual reality world. And then Timothy Busfield goes to rape him. In Wait, in virtual reality? No, in, he's stalking him in the mall and he wants to kidnap him. He's like, a, I think he's I think he's a pedophile or maybe he's just like a frustrated former employee. But I, I think he, they, they, I think there's implied pedophilia. Oh, we got to watch First Kid. <laughs> I don't know that there's anybody from SNL in First Kid. Does Melanie Hutzel make an appearance in First Kid? <laughs> I bet you. I think Siobhan Fallon plays the president. I bet you she does. Uh, Yeah. Anything else for fucking father of the year? This waste. One thing I do in it, I mean, this movie is just so just lazy and listless. And it seems like it doesn't have like a huge budget. But what is the net gain for Netflix here? Well, I would assume this is part of the deal that Adam Sandler made with all of his other movies. So this is probably just a, you know, like, hey, we have one other movie on the docket. What the fuck? You don't want to do one starring yourself? Throw David Spade a bone. Okay, so I guess they just gave him, like, a, I, think, cause I think it was like a 10-picture deal with Netflix. And I guess he just has to fulfill that. Just keep 
popping out crap because man they have well, gotten I don't know if bad I don't know if the movies that don't have Adam Sandler in them count towards that or not like this or the wrong Missy or or like true memoirs of an international assassin I don't know if any of, of those count towards that or not yeah um because what, what did we have so far we had the ridiculous six which we watched and did not like not as bad as its reputation but yeah I did not like it no that's another one that doesn't deserve its zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes there's the do-over. Uh, the do-over was, uh, was yeah, fine. perfectly serviceable. Not a bad movie. Um, but the Sandy Wexler, ugh, that one was a. I watched ten minutes of that. I could not get ooh, through it. Ooh, that one was just a. That was a bad one. That was a bad one. Um, but I did. I kind of enjoyed the murder mystery one. I, I checked that out, and I was like, I got into it a little bit. Uh, we have that. We have uh, the wake up, the week of the wedding one with Chris Rock. Yeah, I never saw that one. And I think, is that it? I can't think of another one. That might be all the Sandlers. Yeah, and then obviously, yeah, you have this and uh, Wrong Missy and you know, a couple other ones like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just don't understand, like, what's Netflix getting out of this? How much money did this cost them to produce? And how much money could it put? Po- Do you think there was one guy who was like, man, I wasn't going to shell out for Netflix. But that fucking David Spade movie looked hilarious. Yeah, well, because that's, I feel like that's the only thing that, like, because like, they don't have a business model, like, per film or anything. So it's just, how do you keep your customer base and how do you attract new customers? And the steady stream of new content, regardless of what it is, is how you keep your customer base. Because you don't know what people are going to like. You just throw everything against the wall, see, see what sticks. But yeah, attracting new customers, like I, I get like the old guard, it's Charlize Theron, she's a big movie star, and it's a high concept action sci-fi thing. I can see somebody wa- seeing a trailer for that and going like, I might be interested in that, maybe I'll pick up Netflix if I don't already have it. But yeah, this, yeah, I don't know anybody that sees the trailer for Father of the Year and goes, I fucking need Netflix. I've been, <laughs> I've been putting it off, all my friends have it, I'm the only one that doesn't have it, but now I need it. <laughs> I'm too honest to steal my grandma's password. I'll have to shell out eight bucks a month for Netflix. Do we have anything else with this? Because I feel like I feel like we're good. Nope. I have nothing else to say about Father of the Year. Uh, so we can move on to my favorite part of the podcast, picking the movie for next week. <laughs> oh, uh, before we do that, uh, email update. We got one email. Oh, we did? Oh, awesome. Yeah. It was from Nate. <laughs> He just said, hey. It's not the same guy as last time, is it? No, it's Nate. Oh, it's all. Well, that, that, that doesn't count. <laughs> I know. So, if you would like to email us, uh, whatever the hell you want to email us, send us whatever you like at Saturday Night Jive Podcast at gmail.com. You got a suggestion, you got a comment, you got an insult. We'll take whatever you want. Uh, all right, so I did update the spreadsheet. Um, since we didn't officially pick anyone for this movie, uh, I just gave it to Melanie Hutzel. So now Melanie Hutzel is off the list. So pick a number between 20 and 158. Wait, see, 20 and 158? Uh, let's go with 44. 44 is Robin Duke. So pick it another number. <laughs> You don't want to watch a Robin Duke movie? Is there a Robin Duke movie? Robin Duke was the reason we watched Motorama. 
So is there another Robin Duke movie? I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think if Robin Duke was in any, like, notorious episodes of SNL. She's in Multiplicity, Ooh, multiplicity. apparently. I'd watch that. Uh, that might be a fun one to revisit. I haven't seen that for a long time. Uh, Club Paradise, Blue Monkey. I love Trump. Stuart Ooh. Saves His Family. I'm saying Stuart Saves His Family or Multiplicity. Multiplicity. I feel like this is just going to be dull. I, every time we do an SNL movie, it's just like boring. Um, but it's Multiplicity was not boring. That's true. Uh, I don't know. Multiplicity? I'm good with Multiplicity. There goes the neighborhood? <laughs> if you really want to do that, I'll watch it. It's fine, but... I don't know. Multiplicity just... That's a good movie, right? It, but that's that's it's long enough where it might not be, and we might have remembered it wrong. It's true. I think it's interesting enough that, Thanks you know, we should give it a shot. Uh, yeah, and you know them special effects probably have not aged well, so that might be fun. Yeah, let's do multiplicity. All right. Okay. All right. For the, uh, for the great Robin Duke... Next week, we will be watching Multiplicity from 1996. Uh, I remember really enjoying this movie. I do too, but uh, yeah, I, I, I can totally see it not holding up. I'd be interested to rewatch it. All right, yeah, I could, I could do uh, with some fresh eyes for Multiplicity. All right, I think that sounds like a plan. I think I might enjoy that. All right, so next week, Multiplicity featuring SNL alum Robin Duke. <laughs> Who's she playing this? Well, Probably she ain't on the main cast, I'll tell you that. Homeless woman number two or something? Oh, I believe she plays... Oh, nope, I'm wrong. She plays the ballet school receptionist. So. Oh, I, I believe she won the Oscar for that, didn't she? Uh, yeah, for best performance as a ballet school receptionist. Uh, yeah, keep your eyes open for Robin Duke. I won't. I will oh, and forget. Brian Doyle Murray. I will totally forget she's in this movie or she's the reason we watched it. At least we got Brian Doyle Murray in there, too. So, Brian Doyle Murray and Robin Duke, a twofer for SNL cameos. All right, so, Multiplicity next week. Um, is that all the business on top of the shed? I, I guess think so. so. Well, did you read the email that Nate sent? Uh, yeah, he said we should start a Patreon. Oh, I know we shouldn't. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> We've gotten two emails in seven years. I mean, if he wants to support our Patreon at like a $500 a month level, sure. (laughs) Hey, Nate, why don't you just give me $5? I'll set up one tier. It'll be $500. It'll be called the Nate Pays Us Money tier. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't starting a fucking Patreon. Uh, Yeah, that's... That's the episode. Listen to it. Don't listen to it. But if you want to reach out, Saturday Night Jive Podcast at gmail.com. Send us something to talk about. Particularly mm. if you're not a person we know. A person that we don't know so that it's actually <laughs> exciting when we hear from you. Email our podcast. <laughs> That'd be cool. Uh, all right. So until we see you again, get off this shit. My whole world disappeared. Father of mine. Take me back to the day Yeah, when I was still your golden boy Back before you went away